0: Please join me now in prayer. Dear Lord, I ask that you would open our minds to the truth of your word by the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see Jesus. Open our hearts to love him more and more. Open our wills to do only that which is righteous in your sight so that your name may be glorified. Amen. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, the word of the Lord. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, there's always like 10 seconds for me of awkward silence right before I start talking. And it's always the worst moment. And as soon as I start talking, I start to feel better. And the nerves start to calm. And my heart rate starts to get normal. But when you're sitting there, and when you step up here, for me. Little bit of a nightmare. But, but now, (laughs) but now we're good. Now we're good. All right, friends. Um, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and I have preached every Super Bowl Sunday since I have worked at Memorial, which is interesting. Clearly, Greg does not care about Super Bowl Sunday. He gets out of town for that one, and it's mine, um, and it's a delight. It really has been a delight to preach to you, and as Sarah was reading the passage, I thought of the foolishness of preaching and the foolishness of man and the wisdom of the Lord and my prayer for us today and for you is that as you listen to this, um, you wouldn't just hear the foolishness of man, but you'd hear God's wisdom shine through my my meager attempts. So I want to open with a story about my childhood, as I always do, and I always say that I always do. I, When I was 18, I really wanted to go to the movies to see a, spe- a specific movie, and my family, my mom and my dad said, Sam, we'd love to take you. The movie was 300. It's not the movie you want to watch with your mom and dad sitting on either side of you. <laughs> if you've seen 300, you know it is violent, it's graphic, it's gory. Um, and for a guy who's 18, it was super, super cool. Uh, I was really pumped about hearing Leonidas scream. This is Sparta, and then kicking the guy into the pit of death. I was so pumped, and I wanted to see it, and I got to see it, and it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. But it was still, it was something. I'll tell you, the most memorable thing about 300 for me, though, was uh, it was the chiseled abs. <laughs> and there were many, many, many chiseled abs. Like, everybody looked incredible, and none of them were shorts. Shirts, except for the bad guys who you felt like they were weak anyway, so good thing they were wearing shirts. They were wearing their shirts, right? And, uh, they all had muscular thighs. I'm talking like strong, Spartan men. 300 of them. You just feasted your eyes on abs. Now, that's, that's not necessarily my cup of tea, but, um, I, something was like happening within me as I was watching it. And I think it's something that's true of our cultural, uh, climate. As I was watching these ads, I was thinking, man, I, <laughs> thanks, thanks. Mike. As I was watching these ads, I was thinking, man, I really want that. I really want to know their workout routine. Cause I want to be a part. Not long after that, I went to a play, the Ayyid, which I had to look up this morning to make sure that I tried to say it right. But I think it's the Ayyid. It's in Egypt, Um and it has—it's a love story about some commanders of some armies and this woman, and it was a high school play. And the guys who played the commanders, they had similar outfits to the men in 300—not exactly the same, but similar. These were high school guys, and uh, I noticed that they didn't have chiseled abs. And I, to my shame—and I'm going to smile, but to my shame. Um, I remember thinking, dude, if you just... I mean, you knew this play was coming. You knew what your costume was. Why didn't you just do some push-ups every night? You would have been fine. Like, you didn't have to look that ripped. You just had to do something. Maybe just some push-ups and some some sit-ups. Um, and, and you'd been fine. You would have looked great. But you didn't, and now you look soft. And I wish you had tried, right? And I I tell you these stories because I think that power and physical strength are major idols for our culture. I'm going to say that again. Power and physical strength, physical appearance, major idols for our culture. At least I can speak for myself. It was a major idol of mine. So me and my brothers, we would go to the gym and work out all the time. Never got the results that they got in 300. But I tried, right? And I would try and bench press, and I would lift weights, and I would run, and I would play sports. And I was just going for the the look, the strong look. There's a picture. Um, of me and a bunch of my friends. And I'm standing there, because you always know which angle your body looks best in a camera when you really care about your muscular form and your physique. You kind of know. (laughs) And I was standing like this. And I was wearing a shirt that was an XL. And you couldn't see anything. There were little, white, stickly arms hanging out of my sleeves. like. Whatever I thought I had, I didn't. And as I look back at that picture, I'm like, oh, Sam. Oh, buddy. <laughs> you were something. But uh, all of that just speaks to this this longing for strength, this longing for power. Um, I think it also, we're a little bit beyond 2007 now. And some of us would say, oh, no, strength and power is whatever you want it to look like, right? It's It's your thing. You're beautiful. You're becoming that strong person. Um, but it's still a fascination with a form of, of power. It's just particularized to you and your own. You know, maybe, maybe it's the way that you write. Maybe it's the way that you dance. Maybe it's that you're comfortable in your body and you don't, you're not ashamed of it. And you can show how strong you are and how powerful you are and how no one No one can hold one over on you. I think that's, I think that's the case for our culture. I know it's been the case for me for a long time. And I found it fascinating that on Super Bowl Sunday, when I'm preaching, uh, on weakness, we're about to take part in, you know, watching the Super Bowl. Watching guys who, some of us know a lot of their names. Patrick Mahomes is one that I can bring to my mind right now. You know, watching these guys who are at the of their physical, you know, ability. They're going to go out and play, and we're going to watch, and it's going to be great. <laughs> but we see it everywhere, the power, the strength. And Paul, <laughs> Paul was writing to a church that he had planted in Corinth. And as I was reading history stuff about, history stuff, history stuff about Corinth, one of the things that popped out at me, which was so interesting, was that Corinth was really close to the site of the Isthmian Games. Um, and these Isthmian Games, <laughs> I told my wife I wouldn't say that I sounded like I lisp every time I say that word, but I can't help it. I do. The Isthmian, I-S-T-H, Isthmian. The Isthmian Games were um, in honor of Poseidon. And they were all about being, partially, the best at your thing, right? The strongest, the fastest. So there was racing, there was wrestling, there were, um, chariot races, and then there were just rhetoric, right? Who was the best speaker? Uh, that was a challenge, that was a, um, competition. And there was the competition for singing and, and, uh, instrument playing. So this was a Renaissance kind of like, you know, experience. Everyone had a gift. Everyone was showing their strength. And then the winners would receive money and and wealth and fame and power and prestige. And that happened just miles from Corinth, every two years. Just miles, right? And Corinth also was this city, the city that had been burned and been rebuilt and was uh, populated by these Roman soldiers who were looking to get um, their dignity from being Roman citizens. Right. You fought in the army, and then as you continued to serve the citizens, you became, uh, honored. And so that you have this strong, like, social ladder that everyone is climbing. Everyone's trying to get to the top of. You have a strong emphasis on being physically fit and mentally intelligent. The, the Corinthians knew power. They were going for it. They wanted the bodies. They wanted the accolades. They wanted the abilities, and it was a competition to get to the best, and it always was, and oftentimes when you have that kind of competition, you also have a strong sense of hedonism, um, and Corinth was not unlike that either. They, uh, Their name became known for, it became used as a verb to Corinthize, something like that, and it was to be very sexually immoral. Um, which, in my mind, if you're really focused on upward movement, if you're really focused on having the body, being strong, that kind of goes hand in hand to me. Those things make a lot of sense, that this would be um, an effect of this culture and this community. And to this city, Paul goes. And Paul plants a church And as Sarah read, he plants a church of not the strong ones, not many were strong, not many were wise, not many were the ones who were climbing up that ladder the fastest. But he plants a church of the weak ones, of the ones who may have posed in really ridiculous ways, right? Of the ones who uh, were not influential, influential in the city. And he's going to say something really important to that community as they're seeking to be a different culture, as they're seeking to be the church of Corinth as opposed to just a Corinthian. And what he says, I think, can really help us. If you experience the rat race for a better-looking body, for strength, for um, the feeling of worth, If you're in that rat race, let's read what Paul has to say to the Corinthians. Would you look with me? It's Corinthians 12, um, verses 12 and 13, and then we're going to skip over to 21 and read down to 26. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. All right, looking down in 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, Every part suffers with it. If one part is if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is Your word. Would You be working in us? Would You mold us to it? Would this become the most important stuff in our lives? That we would have the true mark of spirituality, the true mark of You in this community. You promise that your word does not come back to you empty. Would you make that promise so today? In your name I pray. Amen. Since we're only going to be spending this Sunday in 1 Corinthians, I want to give you guys a quick overview of the entire book. So hang with me. Here we go. <laughs> How am I doing on time? Um, here we go. Corinthians is written by Paul to a church that he planted, which we've already stated. This church is having major problems in terms of unity. They are finding different levels all over the place to classify themselves, to see one is stronger and the other is weaker. Uh, and and Paul opens up this letter by saying, "Hey, we have one Christ." We have, and he says Christ like seven or eight times, just in the first five verses. And it's a longer greeting than most. And it's all about the unity you have in Christ. You are in one Father, one Christ, one Lord, one Savior. That's that's who you are. That's who this community is. It's in Christ. You are all in Christ. And then he moves on to start talking about uh, different teachers that we will put on ourselves, or that the Corinthian church put on themselves. He said, some of you guys are saying, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. And yet, all of this is just division. You're just making divisions among yourselves. You're putting each other in the same scale that, that the Corinthians always do. Who's the best? Who's the strongest? Who's on the right? Who's got the good ideas? That's all, that's all we're doing here. Even with who baptized you. And then he moves forward. And as he hits on different chapters, he's hitting on different places where the same issue is is revealed. So, in chapter... Oh, sorry. Let me look here. In chapter 5. Oh, sorry. That was Romans 5. Whoa. In, in chapter 5, he starts talking about how this man has put himself up who has married his his dad's wife, and how he boasts in this. And you boast in him. And he says, what are you doing? First off, you're making levels for yourself. You're putting someone in one place and another in another place. Secondly, that's just sinful. Stop. And then in chapter 6, he starts talking about how the Corinthians are making lawsuits among uh, believers, fellow believers, how they are taking one another to court, how they're making again these dividing marks. And then chapter seven, in terms of marriage, and maybe some of you will feel this one particularly, whether you're married or whether you're not, that's our, that's our levels of who's who. Chapter eight, food sacrificed to idols. Can you eat it? Can you not? Who's who? Chapter nine, who the apostles are. Chapter eleven, or chapter ten, who gets to eat the Lord's Supper first? Who are the ones that get to start? Who are the ones that get left out? All through First Corinthians, Paul is saying, "Guys, why do you have these levels? Why do you have these classes?" And he's and it's just this constant. It, like when I was reading it, it was so heavy that this is the unifying. This is the unifying idea of Corinthians the Corinthian church has social plugs up and down the ladder, and everyone fits into one, just like the Corinthian culture. And Paul is saying, no. No, that cannot be. And so we get to chapter 12, where Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul starts saying, hey, I know some of you see yourselves as higher because of the spiritual gifts that you have. You put speaking in tongues over another type of gift. No, friends. All of these gifts are for the building up of the body, for the unifying of the body. What are you doing? Do you not know? And then he builds the analogy, right, that we're going to be studying, the analogy of the body. And he's emphasizing here the unity in Christ that we have. And so look again at verses 12 and 13. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they are fo- they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we all get are given one spirit to drink. So Paul, right off here, he says, hey, let's look at what unifies us. Let's look at the playing field and how it's leveled. And it's leveled in your baptism. It's leveled in your being cleansed. The idea of baptism is that you're being washed. You're being cleansed of your past, of the past pain, of the past sins, and you're stepping into death with Christ. And as you come up from the water, or as the water runs away, you stand washed In Christ. Levels are gone. Levels are gone. You are all in Christ. There's one body. Washed. Cleansed. Baptized. And then the second part. There is one body. And it's those who drink of the Spirit. Now this is a funky, this is a funky expression. Those who drink of the Spirit. And it has its roots in John. At least that's what I think. <laughs> um, where John talks to this woman at the well, and he goes and he says to her, uh, "If if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water." And she says, "What is that, sir?" And he says, "Everyone who drinks the water, anyone who drinks the water of this well, will be thirsty." but whoever drinks the water i give him will never thirst indeed the water i give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life all right here's the beauty here's the beauty you have been washed you have been cleansed you have been made new and then you have been poured and you have been poured into and what's gone into you is the spirit and that spirit bubbles up and it creates life. And so not only, friends, not only are you cleansed and, and, and cared for, not only are you all on a level playing field, but all of a sudden, because of what has been put into you by Christ, because of what you have drunk as one body, life bubbles in you. Life pours out of you. In Ezekiel, the idea of this river coming out of, out of the temple and filling everywhere it touches with life. Everywhere it goes, life is springing out. That's what's inside of you. These ideas of who's who? Where do we all line up? Is, are you of Greg? Are you of Keith? Or are you of Sam? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like all of these, all of these ideas. Paul says, no, friends. You were cleansed, you were redeemed, and now you are filled with the Spirit. To create life where you are, you have been given gifts. And those gifts are bubbling up. And they're a welling fountain within you. And it's never, you're never gonna be thirsty again. And the beauty of this just, it's wonderful. It kills this sense of, um, I am, I am greater than you. You are worse than me. I may not be as good as that guy, but I'm better than him. Because all of you have this spirit bubbling inside of you. All of you um, have been baptized. I remember one time I was really stressing out, really stressing out about a paper. And it was at, I was at youth group and I was working next to Ricky Webb. And I don't see him. He may be downstairs. Um, Guys, Ricky Ricky Webb is a saint. That man is a good man. If you know Ricky, you know a good man. A man that really cares. And, uh, I was telling him, I was sharing him, with him a little bit about my, my stress. And he goes, Sam, not to belittle my stress, but he goes, Sam, you know you have the Spirit in you. You know you have, he didn't say this, but you know you have those, that, that fountain of life bubbling in you. You have strength. You have potential. You have Christ in you. You can take confidence in that, Sam. You can take confidence in that. I, I ended up doing fine on the paper, and the spirit must have met me. It didn't really feel like he ever did. I just got it done, and I turned it in and thought I failed it, and then I didn't. You know, and, and I don't know, um, how one can feel this all of the time. I don't know if we're supposed to. But I know in that moment, Ricky spoke love to me and reminded what was true of me. And I hope his words can remind you what's true of you, friends. You have the spirit in you. You have been chosen by him. You have been called by his name. You have been washed. And you have all come from a lot of different places. And you're put on the same level, the same playing field as the rest of us. Not a game for us to try and win, but a game for us to join in and enjoy with one another. So I want to remind you, regardless of what you bring in here today, regardless of your past, regardless of what level you see yourself on. (laughs) Hear these words. Regardless of your mental or physical ability, regardless of your gender or orientation, regardless of your race or heritage, regardless of your wealth or poverty, regardless of your strength or weakness, regardless of your job, regardless of how the world categorizes you, there is room in in here for you. And you are not looked down on. And you are not mistreated differently. You are welcome to this table if you're trusting in Him. And you have the Spirit within you, friends. That's the good news. That's the good news that Paul is emphasizing to the Corinthian church. Hey, we're one body. We're one body. The second bit of news that he comes at Is a little bit harder because we're so trained by our culture that we want to think about ourselves in terms of how strong we are, or how able we are, or how intelligent we are, or whatever. Our grades, whatever, whatever lines us up. I had a, a beautiful text from Grant Hartley. He's my roommate. He sends me Henry Now and stuff every now and then, and this one was so good. Um, now and worked uh, with this community called the arch and he worked with a bunch of <laughs> La arch, he worked with a bunch of um, men and women who had had men- mental disabilities and one of the one of the things he said is when you walked into the La arch community all of a sudden what I did that I had all of this academic training that I was a pretty impressive person that I had written. All of that went right out the window because these guys and girls—they didn't care. What they wanted was to see me love them right then, and you could be sized up or sized down in a moment, regardless of your strengths or weaknesses. Just, just on that moment, right? It, we love, we love the crutch. Uh, I may not be all that good at school, but man, I can really shoot a basketball. Uh, I may not, I may not really understand. Sports, but I can understand dance. I may not really understand computers, but man, I get people. (laughs) That's mine, right? That's mine. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that smart with the, the numbers like Carl McQueen or some of you. But, but man, I got people. I can figure out people. What are your strengths? How do you want to divide yourselves up? Well, Paul says, no, no, it's not the strength in this body. Look with me again in verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 21 and following. The eye cannot say to you the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's a beautiful word. That is... I'm, I was the weakest on many teams, the absolute weakest. The only thing that I was strong in on those teams was that I had a lot of heart. I remember one time one of my teammates, um, his name was Logan Doms, and he was kind of like a Spartan, which <laughs> drives me nuts to say he had the chiseled devs, he was a really powerful looking man. And one time I was cleaning up some sporting equipment with him, he was on my basketball team, and uh, he said, Dolby... I wish I had a ton of players just like you. You have all the heart in the world. And he was pointing out one of my strengths. And I looked at him and I said, Logan, if you had a bunch of players like me, you wouldn't play for this team. <laughs> because I'm not that good, and you want to play with players who are good, and I know it. And he didn't really say anything back. <laughs> that was kind of the end of the conversation, and that was the last conversation I had with Logan until now. Um, and he's not here. Sorry, Logan. Um, but i but it's really hard to be to be the weak one and i didn't feel indispensable i knew that my heart was replaceable i knew that the strengths that i had oh dear <laughs> i knew that the strengths that i had were were not very not very valuable on this team uh But the Lord was saying to me something else. The Lord was pointing at my weaknesses. He's saying, Sam, I'm going to work with you in your weakness. And I'm going to heal you in your weakness. And I'm going to see, you're going to see how I'm glorified in your weakness. You are indispensable, not because you have a lot of heart. And not because you're good at basketball. But because I love you. And I make myself known in weakness. And I come through in weakness. And I reveal my goodness in your weakness. And you will find that I am enough. This is what, this is what honoring the weakness in you looks like. And it's really hard. And it's not fun. Right? It, it gets really challenging. Because some of our weaknesses is heavier than others, other weaknesses. Some of our weaknesses, um, chronic illness. Some of our weaknesses, uh, are, some of people's weaknesses are, are some of their, um, disabilities. Some of our weakness lies in the pain that we experience socially and in the pain that we experience when we're by ourselves and in mental illness and depression. Those are the places where our weakness shines. And guys, Here's the thing, you don't want anyone saying to you, I dig you because of your weakness. When that's it. When that's what the weakness is, and when that's where the hurt is, and when that's where the pain is. That's not what you want. And yet the Lord is saying, that's what I'm doing. That's where I'm showing up. And that's where I'm going to be enough. And that's where I'm going to be enough for you. And you Corinthian church, stop making levels, but give to the weaker the honor their due. Now why? Why is that the case, friends? Because the Lord shows up in weakness. Johnny Erickson Tata um, talks about, if you guys don't know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, she's a woman who uh, was diving into the beach and broke her neck and lived the rest of her li- has lived the rest of her life in a wheelchair. And one of the things that she said that was so beautiful and was a little bit outdated in terminology. But one of the things that she said that I just loved was that Jesus that Jesus was disabled. Jesus was a disabled man in terms in, 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 in this way. Jesus took what was his glory in heaven what was his right what was his place but he he set it aside so that he could be with us and in the weakest moment of christ in the weakest moment of christ he dies and he goes into the tomb and he's there in death suffering that's that's the that's the That's the baseline of weakness, friends. That You don't get weaker than that. It's over. You're dead. And what appears to be weakness and evil wins. And that's where Christ comes for us. That's what he does for us. And this is why our weakness and our pain is the place that deserves the honor and the dignity and the strength. Because that's what Christ took on. That's what he took on for you. I want, I want to redefine for you and for many this idea of weakness. And I wrote these up, and I'm just going to read them. I'm not the best reader of what I write, but please just bear with me. I think, I think what I wrote here is actually beautiful. I hope you do too. In our weakness, in our weakness, let's see the Savior. Let us see in people who are physically disabled, the Savior, who did not have the strength to carry his cross to Golgotha. Let us see in people with mental disabilities the joy that Christ has in those who are being saved. Let us see in those who have social anxiety, which is me, and are sensitive to overstimulation, which may be some of you, Let's see in them the Savior who had to withdraw to a quiet place to be alone with His Father. Let us see in those who battled with depression, the man of sorrows who carried our pain. Let us see in those who are terminally ill, the Savior who died on the cross so that death and corruption would be no more. Let us see, friends, the face of our risen King in whom we are united. That's, it's not the best news, but it is the best news. It's hard news. And I don't want to give you guys sugar-coated answers and just say, hey, Jesus is in you. He's got him, he's got you. But Jesus knows your pain and he knows your weakness. And when he, and when Paul says the weaker parts are indispensable, he's saying Christ is indispensable for us. And without Christ, we're doomed. But Christ steps in and he is enough for our weakness. And he takes on our weakness and turns the times. Friends, I'm gonna finish up here. You ready? Finishing up. In Acts chapter 18, how is this possible? In Acts chapter 18, Jesus goes, where Paul goes to Corinth, and it's really, really, really hard for him. And he's getting anxious, and he's getting nervous, and there Paul has a vision. And in this vision, God says to Paul, Paul, I have many in this city who I have called. Stay here and preach. How do we live this? How do we honor our weakness? How do we honor the weakness that's within us? How do we be people united by Christ's baptism on an even playing field, loving one another in our weakness and honoring our weakness? It's because the Father's called you. And when the Father calls you by name, when he says there are many in this city who are mine, you can't get away from that. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he outlines all of these sad things. And he says, guys, come on. And then the next letter letter is beautiful. Where he says, I'm so pleased by how you've responded. I'm so pleased how the Lord is working in you. There's hope. And that hope is that Christ is not done with you. He's called you by name. You are His. And He will work. And He's coming back. He's going to put an end to our weakness. And He won't lose you on the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are the King. You are the King that comes down into our weakness. That You love us and that You call us to Yourself. I pray that You would step in. I pray that you would love us. In your name I pray. Amen.